Thank you for tuning in to the WAM Podcast, where women empower women in business and manufacturing. Hello, everyone. This is Rosemary Coates, your host for this edition of Women and Manufacturing Podcast. I am the executive director of the Reshoring Institute, where we help companies bring back or expand their manufacturing in the U.S. I also run a global supply chain consulting firm called Blue Silk Consulting, where we help clients with global supply chain projects and where I also do legal expert witness work. On these podcasts, we interview accomplished women in business and ask them to share their experiences with us. We're looking for insights from women business leaders. Today, I'm delighted to welcome my guest, Bindia Bagel. Bindia is the founder and CEO of the software company, Resilink. Bindia and our software company have really been the buzz around Silicon Valley for the past few years, and especially now, and that's because of her very clear vision and the software that she architected addressing risk in global supply chains. Now, because of the coronavirus, Resilink is on fire. Um, really, uh, around companies are dealing with the painful global shortages and the acknowledgement of risk in their supply chains. And Resilink is the solution to that. What she has accomplished is a truly amazing breakthrough technology. Welcome, Bindia. Thank you for having me, Rosemary. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. Can you please tell us a little bit about your background and how you came to be involved in supply chain risk? Yeah, absolutely. I'd be happy to. I actually come from the sourcing and procurement world of the high-tech industry, worked in companies like Cisco Systems, Flextronics, Broadcom, etc. Went to MIT, got my master's in supply chain. So I'm very much a supply chain nerd, as you can imagine. And in procurement in particular, in my various roles, you know, this was 2000 to 2010, I really always felt like we were very reactive, always at the mercy of suppliers, mercy of events, and very difficult, in my opinion, for us to predict where the next disruption might come from or the where the next supplier issue might occur. And so that's why where, what I learned throughout the career in Cisco and beyond was it was the risk problem was basically a data problem. And so we decided to start Resilink as a way to increase transparency, visibility, and develop greater trust with suppliers so that companies can come together in a, in a spirit of recovering and being more resilient together. Because as you can imagine, it's impossible to be resilient in isolation when you're an integral part of a very complex network. You know, certainly these days, it's come to the forefront that risk in supply chain is a vulnerability. It's our Achilles heel if we don't understand where it is and how to respond to it. So 
boy, it's very timely that we're talking and that you have a, a solution available for for your your customers. It's really the data, right? It's not so much the software, but really the data around where suppliers are located, which parts they make there, who are the suppliers they do business with. These are simple things, but so often missing, missing pieces of information in the hands of the people on a daily basis on the ground working with our suppliers every day. Yeah, I mean, you know, I can see it and having some experience with Resolink, I can see where, you know, knowing where the vulnerabilities are is so important and having a plan to take action. Can you actually describe the vision and mission that you have for Resolink? Absolutely. So as I said, you know, it's really about getting that visibility, knowing the supply chain interdependencies. A lot of times we buy from a distributor warehouse that's located two states removed from us, and we fail to realize that the suppliers that feed that warehouse come from 30 worldwide countries. And so our vision for Resilink is to streamline the process of really mapping out that global supply chain, going down to part level, really understanding those second and third tier dependencies, who are the supplier suppliers, where are they located, etc. And the idea is to help companies become more resilient. We are the resiliency arm. Think of us as the first line of defense for our very large complex supply chain clients where they have hundreds of thousands of parts coming from multiple countries and thousands of suppliers and sites globally. It's very difficult to use humans and manual processes and traditional tools to really you know, to keep track of this incredibly convoluted network. And that's where you need artificial intelligence, machine learning, and advanced technologies to untangle the mess and predict where the next issue might happen. Our goal is to make that affordable, possible, and accelerate the achievement of that transparency. You make a really good point. So, you know, my experience a lot of procurement departments are buying from distributors or from you know intermediaries of some kind or another maybe a trading company in China or something like that and don't have that tier 2 visibility regarding where the actual manufactured products are coming from in terms of a company and the risks that may be associated with it and i think that you know became very clear in the covid-19 crisis where Hospitals in particular were buying from distributors and not understanding enough about the actual suppliers. So, you know, that's that's an important shift, I think, in, in companies thinking and strategies. Absolutely. I think, and we see this shift, you know, over the last two or three months, many companies who had put off plans for getting that visibility issue fixed or thought, well, it's something I'll do later. You know, I have so many yeah. fires that I am fighting right now or had a program that was entirely focused on cost reduction. Those companies are all now rethinking that and really investing in and taking time to understand working with suppliers where those second or third tier dependencies are. And then, you know, the other interesting thing from the supplier's perspective, because it's really important for suppliers to understand 
why they should provide this transparency to their customers, because historically there has been some resistance to, you know, do this. The goal here is not to design a supplier out. The goal is to be proactive, predictive, and have some control during events over shaping the outcome of how this event plays out. And a lot of times companies don't change suppliers. What we see, especially in the customer base that Reslink works with is life science, high tech, pharma, medical device, aerospace defense. You don't just lift and shift from one supplier to another very easily. As you can imagine, these are very complex, long-standing relationships. And some of these suppliers, you know, I think from supplier perspective, they may not realize that I supply this $250,000 a year part, but that part could be used on a billion dollar revenue product. And if that part is disrupted, the client could put a billion dollars at risk. And so from a visibility standpoint, it's really critical to not look at the spend view of what your critical suppliers are, but to really gain visibility on those single sourced, difficult to replace suppliers that are supplying, you know, custom, semi-custom or single source parts that have very high revenue impact. Yeah, you, you make a really good point about the regulations too. So in uh, healthcare and pharma, for example, there's FDA regulations and suppliers have to be qualified and certified as well as their manufacturing sites around the world. So it's not like you can just, you know, jump to some new supplier that, you know, you looked up on the on the internet. The process is really long and expensive. And I think, you know, understanding what the risk is associated, especially with those regulated suppliers or single source suppliers, is a concept that applies across all industries, not just pharma or not just PPE producers or ventilator producers, but really every industry needs to understand where those pinch points are, those vulnerabilities. Absolutely. You made another point too that I that I want to chat about a little bit, and that's this idea that companies don't jump on doing things until they need to. So risk is very much like trade compliance also. It's kind of in the same category where these are preventative measures that can be overlooked or, you know, sometimes executives will say, well, someday we'll do that. Or, you know, sure, we'd like to look at global risk, but we just don't have time right now. Or, you know, and I, I think the coronavirus, as well as the, the trade wars to some extent, have exposed that potential risk. I also think, you know, there's a secondary trend. You know, I've been in the industry for a long time and you know, maybe 20 years ago, people were really concerned with just moving stuff around the world, more a logistics perspective and a hands-on operations. Today, I think executives have a change of mind or we have different kind of people in place that are really thinking about global strategy. Is that your experience too? Do you see sort of a upskilling of people thinking more broadly and strategically? Absolutely. And I think as you can imagine, right, Rosemary, certain events, whether it's you call it an event or market forces, which this certainly seems more like a market force, provides that tipping point to accelerate change. I certainly see that across all the customers and industries where we operate. 
a lot of companies are looking strategically at their supplier network. Now, obviously, in every case, you may not near sure, you know, because as you can think about it, it takes billions of dollars to set up a new factory somewhere. You have to go through a long process. It takes several years. In some cases, your customers may not be in the country or trying to set up your factory. So you have to look at your network very, very strategically, really understand where your suppliers are, where your market is, where your fastest growing regions of the world are, and then make a strategic decision on how to design your supply chain to cost and risk optimize it for the future. I think this event or this last year or two years that we have lived through has definitely created that environment, which is very conducive for larger scale strategic investments. Yes, it was certainly a wake up call for a lot of companies that were not thinking strategically. They were more, you know, to me, supply chain is two sides. There is the execution side, and that's the day-to-day, you know, procurement and planning for production and logistics, the day-to-day operations. But this whole strategic side to supply chain has really only developed over the last maybe 10, 15 years or so, where strategic thinking and supply chain has become a more of a senior executive role. And the vulnerabilities, you know, it's funny you say too, that looking not only at risk of suppliers, but regions. Can you can you talk a little bit more about the kind of risks that Resolink addresses, not just supplier risk, but political risk and weather and climate and all of that? Yeah, so just to give you a little bit of, it's actually, the world is actually very, very interesting everywhere, right? We have (laughs) supply chains in over 165 countries, you know, across the industries that we track. Every day, there is something going on in all these parts of the world that touch your supply chain in some way. And it could be a factory fire that happened somewhere, a flood got reported in a region or town in Vietnam. It could be a hurricane here, or it could be lawsuits that were filed against a supplier that, again, you know, because of them polluting or because of them were violating worker safety standards, which could all result in large scale fines, or, you know, even in some cases, the regulators might come and shut down the site for polluting poisonous gases or what have you, and creating a human health issue in that town. And so we see these types of disruptions happen every day around the world. In fact, just to give you some numbers, you know, if you just think about any one industry like high tech or automotive, there are 350 factory fires that touch these industries in a year. So you see now this factory fire does not get reported nicely in the English language. It could get reported in Japanese or Thai or what have you. So you need to be aware that something somewhere has happened that may affect a supplier's ability to support you in the next few days or weeks or the next few months. And without an alert or monitoring system that makes you aware, you get caught off guard when that disruption slowly trickles through the supply chain and it hits you two months, three months later as a 
supplier calls you and says, hey, my lead times have gone up, your PO, I can't deliver, I'm going to be two months late. And now you are reacting <laughs> to this, but it's within your lead time window, it's too late. But if you knew that the supplier had a factory fire three months ago, you would be three months into the process of already having your backup plans activated. How do you capture that information? Is it delivered to you through the supplier network or are you monitoring other things? Yeah, we are using advanced natural language processing technology. We've developed this over the last 10 years and we're monitoring keywords in a hundred plus languages. And so we know all the different ways the supply chain can be brought down based on my own. Obviously, I'm a supply chain practitioner myself and have had the unfortunate experience of living through many disruptions. But certainly our customers always tell us, you know, hey, did you know Resling CEO changes? We want you to monitor that when a CEO, CFO, or COO changes, that can sometimes trigger some strategic activities or trigger some strategic directional changes, or they might spin off key piece of business that we're really relying on. And so we monitor all of these based on Keyword monitoring from social media reports, news, blogs, analyst reports, etc. Oh, that's interesting. I, I didn't know that. So you're looking at things like a factory fire, for example, in some language somewhere, India, for example, with multiple languages. So someone has posted in the local newspaper that there was a fire and you pick that up. Exactly. Or, you know, the employees nowadays with the world of Twitter and Facebook, employees will tweet about, hey, we're just all evacuated from our plant today. So the words plant and evacuation, our AI will pick up and flag that and say plant evacuation or factory evacuation or building evacuation triggers the need for us to go look into it. Now, we do apply some human intelligence because we do need to make sure that a rubber tire factory does not get reported to, to our life science customers and an FDA alert does not get reported to our automotive clients. But the first thing is there are trillions of things on the internet, our NLP processes them and we create a relevant, not relevant kind of a flag to supply chain experts. And then we triage it, research it some more. I like identify what neighborhoods are going through a flood watch and we then geofence the area of impact. And with a push of a button, what our customers get is not only that this area has a flood warning or that supplier has a fire, but exactly how this affects your supply chain. So you are buying parts that come from these sites in the area, or you have a first tier supplier who buys something from this supplier. Those are the types of things that now make this very actionable. So let's take an example. So with COVID-19, when Wuhan was shut down, that's an automotive and metals manufacturing area. Would that have triggered these kind of messages to automotive clients or other clients? Absolutely. All customers, actually, because we saw, and, and I know that we focused on metals and all of that, but there were some other industries, not just within Wuhan, but the Hubei province, broadly speaking, that were affecting semiconductor and, and high-tech industries. They were factories that made inexpensive things like capacitors, resistors, 
packaging that went into life science companies. Some kinds of API source materials came from Wuhan and the Hubei area. But yes, absolutely. The first thing we did was our AI picked up from social media monitoring when the local government alerted hospitals in the area to watch out for pneumonia cases. That was on December 28th. So we picked this up and we notified our customers on January 4th that there was this unknown pneumonia pneumonia in Wuhan. And then we created that virtual geofenced area around Wuhan and broadly around the Hubei province. And the customers of Reslink who had the mapping done, where we've been mapping and identifying part site and second and third tier, immediately within that virtual environment right on their mobile app, they were able to see which suppliers, what parts come from the area. Do some of my suppliers have an alternate site? How long would it take me to start moving my demand and getting shipped from the alternate side, where is it located, etc. And so this was all information they had on day one on January 4th. And many of them not only acted not for the Wuhan area, but for the Hubei province in general, three weeks before they shut the area down. Wow. Yeah. And then obviously, you know, as the progression happened from Wuhan to other countries, we were kind of forced to notify customers about, hey, this was picked up in Japan now and South Korea now. And then in every case, we could geofence and identify which products, parts, suppliers and sub tiers were coming from the area. Wow, that's that's so interesting. Such such a great way of getting advance notification when there's going to be problems. And you know, with especially in the world of lean manufacturing where there isn't much inventory in the pipeline, that it's just a continuous movement in the pipeline to get advance notification of that is just so valuable. That's that's just fantastic. I love it. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you talked about lean because if you go lean in your supply chain and you fail to have an alert and monitoring and mapping system, then you really what you've done is you stretch your supply chain across the ocean, you increase the supply chain time to resolve issues, you have now also taken out all of the buffer and protection, right? right? So you've basically cut off your arms and legs and your body is still functioning, but there is zero ability to react, respond, you know, or deviate, move aside, that kind of a thing. So it's really important that you have a fully functioning system that is global, that has embraced lean, no problem. But then bolster your lean by having a mapping monitoring program that really gives you those early warnings, gives you the ability to be agile, more resilient. Yeah, and you know, it affects sales too. So just a little story. Back when the tsunami happened in Japan, the earthquake and the tsunami, I was in the market for buying a new car and I was set on a, a Lexus. I really wanted a Lexus. So I went to, this was maybe a month after the tsunami. So I went to the Lexus dealer, drove the car and I was already in the salesman said, well, we can't actually get it for three months because the tsunami damaged some supplier plants in Japan and they, they don't have supplies to be able to make the product. And so, I, yeah, I walked out of there and bought a different car. You know, so, you know, it, it affects your customers if you can't produce product in a timely fashion also. 
and it may affect your revenue. Absolutely. And the revenue, I mean, look, this is this is the bottom line, right? At the end of the day, in supply chain, what do we mean by supply chain risk management? If we have demand, we need to be able to fulfill that demand. And if we can't fulfill that demand, that's a lost customer, lost revenue, a lost opportunity that either goes to someone else or disappears entirely. Right. So this is why it's so strategic to have a proper risk program. Yeah, I I think about that all the time that that, you know, we we talk in these generalities and talk about risk and, you know, potential risk and how, it, you know, concepts and so forth. But the covid virus really brought that home. I mean, all of a sudden now risk is real. It's not just a concept, but, you know, really is affecting the way you do business. Yeah, unfortunately, risk has always been real because like I said, you know, every year we're picking up 350 factory fires. A lot of M&A happens, you know, about in the, and especially the last three, four years, you know, we've seen about 200 M&A alerts, you know, that, that happen within a company in the high tech or life science industry supply chain. And then business sales spinoff, force majeure, pricing going up, lead times getting extended, shortages, lawsuits. I mean, in the world of risk is never a dull moment. <laughs> yeah, really, <laughs> really. And I would, I would suspect that, you know, I, this is not the last big pandemic or calamity that we're going to see, especially with respect to climate change. You know, I would expect to see lots of climate issues and, and with the world trade environment. We're going to see political risk. And, oh, man, it's, it's just so timely that you've developed the solution and can address some of these ideas that are coming to the forefront. So, Bindia, one last question. What do you think are the most critical types of risks that companies should focus on right now? So, like I said, Rosemary, the risk is you know, the supply chain experiences risk in so many different ways. You know, there could be a supplier issue, a sub-tier issue, a part issue. I think the key is to, the way, the way I characterize it is create a capability that transcends risk of any type, right? At the end of the day, risk management to me is a capability that has all of the data you need, the early warnings, the systems in place where you can get the actionable information and the tools to collaborate amongst yourself and with your suppliers so that you can trigger and respond and react and recover very, very quickly, irrespective of whether it's a pandemic or a cyber incident or a supplier incident or a fire or a hurricane or a flood or what have you. And here's a good analogy for what I see. It's like, you know, when you're an ER nurse or in working in the ER and one ambulance pulls up, you don't see the staff in the ER really panic. Whether it's one ambulance that pulls up or it's 30 ambulances, they have, a, it, there's muscle memory. They know where to go, what to do, how to triage, how to respond to this. So when you have a capability that you have created that is grounded in data, that is deployed and adopted and embraced across the organization, you're going to be more resilient irrespective of what comes at you. 
Oh, thank you so much for joining us today, Bindia. Can you please give us your contact information and your website information? Absolutely. So we are resilink.com, R-E-S-I-L-I-N-C, resilink.com, www.resilink.com. Ah, terrific. Okay. Well, you can listen to more podcasts on women in manufacturing at our website, www.womenandmfg.com. So www.women, W-O-M-E-N-A-N-D-M-F-G.com. And you can reach me, Rosemary Coates, at rcoates, R-C-O-A-T-E-S, at reshoringinstitute.org and visit our website at www.reshoringinstitute.org where we publish all of our research on manufacturing in America. And thank you again, Bindia, and everyone have a good day. Thank you for joining the WAM podcast where women empower other women in business and manufacturing. For more shows like this, go to whampodcast.com. That's whampodcast.com. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.